Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Heroes, we've hit our network's Patreon fundraising goal, and it's thanks to all of you. Whether you're able to support us with money or with your time or your enthusiasm, thank you for being here. We do these shows for you and with you, and without you, it would be really sad and boring. So thank you, and look forward to Feng Shui 3 over on One Shot next month. Gen Con is fast approaching. The whole network is going, and we'll have a network panel Saturday evening followed by a meetup at the JW Marriott. The panel is at 7 p.m., and the meetup follows immediately afterward, around 8 o'clock. There are a bunch of other panels we'll be doing, and probably games, so check the schedule or Twitter for info on those. I'm doing two other panels on Saturday that may be of interest. One is at 11 a.m. with Jim McClure, where we'll talk about how we approach running interview podcasts. Spoiler, we do it pretty differently. So if you've got questions on starting your own or you're just curious about how we do ours, it will be a lot of fun. The other panel is at 5 p.m. with Pranks Paul, where we'll panic about starting our own AP podcasts. Pranks show Adventure has already started airing, and mine, Tales from Thetis, is still in pre-production, so it's a good chance to ask questions about those shows, as well as our approaches to creating them. I hope you're able to make it to some of our events, and I look forward to seeing you heroes there. My next network-related announcement is actually covered by the meat of the show this week. James D'Amato is here to talk about his current project that's mid-funding on Kickstarter, the Dungeon Dome. You may have seen some of the Dungeon Dome on the one-shot Twitch stream, and James has bold plans to run a whole season of this video series. I had a lot of questions about it, and I know you all did too. It's a new kind of game and a new kind of entertainment. We're not sure what to expect, and as it turns out, James doesn't know all of the answers either. But I think by the end of this one, you'll be just as excited as I am to help James bring this experiment to life. Let's get to the show. Joining me this week is a very special guest. We've got James D'Amato. Oh, very special. Hello, heroes. Yeah, uh, and I wasn't even paid to say that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me, Meg. I'm really excited. Uh, this is like the second of our interview podcasts that I've done. You guys have been around for like two years now. Yeah. Um, and I've only ever done Jim's show so far. Yeah, gross. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did have to issue me a written apology after both times that I did I, his show. So, and and Jim has been on this show, so we're just we're just a snake eating its own tail. This network, uh, but that's okay. So, just in case anybody out there doesn't know who you are for some reason, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh sure. I am James D'Amato. I am uh, one of the founders of the One Shot Podcast Network, and I am the host of One Shot. Um, I also do a lot of game design projects on the side. Uh, you, you might know Noisy Person Cards. Uh, we had a successful Kickstarter for it, and, and then Mattel bought it, so you can find nice. it at your local Toys R Us. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really like doing uh, game design projects, and I love doing actual play projects, and uh, I love it when those two worlds sort of collide. Yeah, like they are currently doing with your Project Dungeon Dome. Oh, did you say the Dungeon Dome? You mean the project that I have on Kickstarter right now? Right now. Right now, yeah. I'm loving how elegant these plugs are going for us. <laughs> Not awkward at all in the slightest. So 
the Dungeon Dome, which is, uh, we're going to talk about this. You've been doing a, a little press tour. Uh, you've been on some other shows talking about different aspects of the Dungeon Dome, uh, the fact that it is on Kickstarter and the things that go into running such an, uh, an event in such a Kickstarter. So what I want to focus on with this episode is how you are taking Dungeons & Dragons, the system that you're using for this project, and making it fit, uh, making it do what you want it to do. So Explain a little bit briefly what Dungeon Dome is. Uh, so the Dungeon Dome, the Dungeon Dome yeah. yeah, the Dungeon Dome is a new actual play project uh, that's coming out on the one-shot streaming side of things. Like we will have other ways to consume the project, but like it's primarily a streaming show uh, where we uh, do player versus player gladiator matches um, that mimic professional wrestling. So rather than your traditional gaming setup where you have one party of adventurers who are sort of going on a quest together, uh, we have several different adventurers and two-person <laughs> teams, and we are forcing them into competitive situations. So they're not fighting monsters. They're going to be fighting each other. Um, and, you know, they're doing it for wealth and pride and, and all, all of those good things. Uh, and so, like, you will notice if you play Dungeons & Dragons, uh, that that description for a game doesn't really line up with uh, what D and D is intended to do. Um, yeah. So, it, like, it and <laughs> it's the sort of game uh, that you know I, I've been describing this as an experiment in actual play projects because actual play, you know, has been around for a while now. There are several prominent actual plays, um, and I feel like. Up until this point, the vast majority of them have been very traditional games that simply have a microphone or, or a camera in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, we've been trying to export the normal experience that you might have sitting down at a table and, and, and playing a role playing game. With the Dungeon Dome, I, I am trying to harness uh, the experience and the resources that we have uh, for it being an actual play. Um, and run a game that will only work in an actual play format. Uh, so, like, I, I think generally speaking, and, and there are definitely people who disagree and have different experiences of Dungeons & Dragons, but generally speaking, I think D&D &D is not a good PvP game. Uh, yeah. And it's not a super fun experience uh, to play PvP. Mm -hmm. And the Dungeon Dome specifically... Uh, <laughs> is telling a bunch of disconnected stories and like if we weren't broadcasting it to an audience the only person who would get to experience the full story of the dungeon dome would be me so like if i wasn't running this as an actual play like the game just just wouldn't work uh sure. so like already we just have a different presentation and format for dnd um and, you know, like the, the next step, as you implied, is like finding ways uh, to change the system or, or harness what's already there in the system and use it in a different way uh, to make it work for this wild format where we have an audience that that's not only watching the game and, you know, taking in the full story, but is actually actively participating in the game along with us. Awesome. And so you actually kind of got really close to answering my first question, I feel like. Oh, which, boy. Which is, uh, so you at OneShot have played almost every game in existence, it seems like. So well, you're familiar with lots of few, systems. You, there's that, a lot. You, there's a lot. There are tens of thousands <laughs> out there. Sure. <laughs> so what is it? Why Dungeons & Dragons specifically, especially since it's it, it's not necessarily suited for player versus player, the, this, this setup that you have envisioned, is the challenge part of the appeal? Or were any other systems considered? Like, uh, 
Yes, actually, other systems were considered and and may actually end up showing up. Uh, but yes, I, I think you touched on it a bit. Like the challenge is definitely part of this. Like I, I want to take D and D and and do something interesting with it. Uh, both Cat and I, as designers, see sort of like the next phase of experimental design being in the actual play space. Um, mm. I, I think in a few years, we are going to see more than one role-playing system designed specifically for streaming or specifically for podcasting. And I see the Dungeon Dome partially as a playtest, as an experimental space. Uh, you know, as a piece of entertainment, I think like we to our backers have guaranteed it. Like mm -hmm. where I'm working with performers that I know and love. And I think no matter what happens in the dungeon dome as a piece of entertainment, it's going to be a lot of fun as a game design project. It is purely an experiment. Like I have no idea what ideas will work or, or not work. Um, so the, the challenge is some, definitely something that appeals to me. And the other part of it uh, that, that I want from D and D that really only D and D can offer to me uh, is the promise of familiarity. Like okay. Dungeons and Dragons is the most popular role-playing system. Uh, D and D fifth edition has over 20 million fans around the world. Mm -hmm. It is like one of the universal languages in RPGs. And like, yes, mm -hmm. there, there are, you know, strictly indie kids or, or OSR kids who have never played fifth edition, but, you know, almost everybody who plays role-playing games knows what D&D is. Uh, sure. so, so I wanted to start from that place of like, okay, we all, we all understand what this is. And I, I'm doing a really weird thing with it. So we're all going to be able to spot the differences together really easily. And, you know, from there, we'll be able to judge what works and what doesn't work. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I, I'm curious to see what those, uh, what those games you know look like in a few years that have streaming in mind you know to be functional like what what qualities they share um like i think adam Cobol talked a little bit about it when he did his interview with jim um mm -hmm. and like it, it's certainly something that, that kat and i have been talking on and off for a couple of years and uh, mike merles you know not too long ago said that D, D has two audiences it has its traditional audience uh who have you know very much uh, the same uh, perspective on role playing and what role playing should be that that it's been for decades, and now they have the streaming audience, and and yeah. those are the type of people who who watch Critical Role and, and hang out on Twitch and, and watch role play and all mm -hmm. the other wonderful uh, actual play streams out there. Um, they consume D and D in a different way, and and they have uh, specific needs, um, and so like wizards. Uh, I know is thinking about uh, role-playing games in terms of two audiences. And I know at least, you know, other designers like Adam Cobol are, are thinking of those, that audience in terms of design specifically. Um, and because, you know, Kat and I have been thinking about it and, mm -hmm. and Cobol has been thinking about it. Um, and D and D at least recognizes this divide in audiences. I think that means there must be other designers out there who, who are thinking about it and who are fascinated by this idea. But it's also like a really privileged space to be able to play around with these ideas yeah. because, you know, in order to actually 
experiment with design uh, that takes place in a public space, like you need to have an audience that that watches and plays along with you. It, it's not like calling your five friends together to do a play test. It is calling your five friends together to do a play test and also a hundred people too who will watch along with you. Yeah. Well, you're in a, in a very unique position then that you've got the one shot audience already that you've, you know, cultivated for almost four years now. Yes. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, that, like that's an achievement in and of itself, but being able to segue that into doing the streaming uh, is that's awesome. It's so. it's exciting and and very scary, um, <laughs> but like I you know the design part of my brain, like uh, the part of my brain that I associate most with the modifier podcast, that that part that like loves to investigate rules and and how they change games and experience of play, like that is alive right now, and I, mm -hmm. I just can't wait to get out there and and see what will happen. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about what you've got planned. And this actually brings me into one of our listener questions. There was a lot of listener questions for this episode, uh, most of which came from Richard on Twitter, Richard, Richard uh, Critch Landry. So if I forget to credit a question, just assume he asked it because he basically tapped into my brain and wrote my notes for me. Um, <laughs> so this one is actually from our, our friend Jeff Stormer of the Party of One podcast. And oh, hi, Jeff. Yay! So he'd like he asks D and uh, D more than most games is built for a full group. So how do you approach that when building uh, single and and like tag teams? So are there any particular challenges to that? Uh, so there are a couple challenges to that that uh, I've had to account for. Uh, the first is time. Um, the way that my brain has been trained uh, to the way that Dungeons and Dragons operates is, you know, for a group of four to six people um, and like whatever monsters are involved in a combat. So like as a game master, I can pace out how long I think a fight should take up in a game. And coming to the Dungeon Dome, because I am no longer dealing with with a cohesive group, uh, I had to find a way that, like, how am I going to be able to control uh, those timescales more effectively? Like, and I think in the first Dungeon Dome that I did, we saw that I didn't really know how to do that. Um, because, like, I generally assume uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons combat is a one-hour part of the session. Like, unless you're doing a boss fight, it should only take an hour to get through combat. And in the Dungeon Dome, I found that all of the fights, even if they were pretty simple death matches, were going about two hours. And so the first Dungeon Dome, I assumed like it might be four hours. Mm -hmm. uh, we were there for seven hours and six <laughs> hours was on camera. Uh, so like I've, I've sort of had to adjust what... Uh, what I think is is a reasonable time frame for things mm -hmm. um, and, and work with it. And uh, the matches that I've had to design, and we'll, we'll get into those later, um, I, I've had to construct in a very particular way. But other than that, the, the format of the combat is actually fairly similar. I did two-person teams so that when you have two teams going up against each other, it is a uh, regular four-person party size of of player economy you know you're you're still going through four player characters and then whatever the dungeon master says mm -hmm. um so time scales like aren't aren't going to be too bad of a factor and like uh actually managing the party isn't going to be too bad 
Um, the thing that is not as universally present as it would be in a Dungeons and Dragons game is stuff like healing, uh, which is actually, I think, a boon because that means things will move quicker. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have heroes hanging on by a thread <laughs> thanks to several healing spells throughout a game. You really only have like one or two healing instances show up on the off chance that the two-person team has, you know, a character that has access to healing on it, which I think there's only one Dungeon Dome team that even has that right now. Mm. Um, so, like, uh, I, I think the major changes to what the expected format of combat, uh, just by the nature of what the Dungeon Dome is, have, like simultaneously made things much longer and, and, and much shorter in, in specific ways. Uh, so yeah, it, it's like, I, I, I'm glad that this question sort of uh, addressed, you know, what, what is combat like? Because like, that is what D and D is mm -hmm. uh, in its heart and soul. Like even, you know, decades after it's first being designed, Dungeons and Dragons still, uh, has a lot of wargaming in its DNA. Um, and that is driving a lot of uh, the design challenge in the Dungeon Dome itself. Yeah. And um, that's sort of one of the other things I wanted to, to talk about was D&D gets a lot of uh, crap for being very combat focused, uh, for, you know, for not being a story game. And dun in, in the Dungeon Dome, you're looking to tell a story. Yes. From what I, I gather. Yeah. So how... Are, are you bringing in like uh, anything from other games or, or just knowledge from having run so many games to how, how are you making this an engaging story? Well, actually the battle, yeah. LARP has been a real inspiration mm -hmm. and by LARP, I mean specifically the most financially successful LARP of all time, uh, the WWE. <laughs> um, so wrestling is a storytelling medium. It is like a, epic heroic storytelling medium uh or i should say mythic heroic storytelling medium that is very similar to comic books or, or, or greek myths or anything like that um uh, and exclusively the format for stories that happen in wwe really evolve uh and progress through fight scenes and and that's it you know mm, okay. they're Wrestlers are just improvisers um, who are playing characters and not breaking characters the way that you would expect somebody to do in a LARP um, who are also just doing very uh, interesting, acrobatic, athletic work. Uh, so I, I, I look to wrestling because, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. D&D &D, uh, catches a lot of, or catches a lot of flack for being not story gamey. Like, uh, most people look like, why are you playing D and D when, when you can play Dungeon World? Dungeon World is, is so much more story focused. Um, but I, I think D and D and, uh, like the crowd who likes those sort of crunchy tactical combat fo focus games, like, like your OSR crowds, they, I, I think they have an unfair reputation. Like, just because something focuses on combat doesn't mean stories aren't there. Like, the whole role playing medium, evolved out of war games uh chainmail and, and the original dungeons and dragons really in the rule book said nothing about role-playing a character mm -hmm. that's merely how dave arneson decided to use that particular game and 
D&D didn't adopt the language of role-playing, which was still the primary engine driving the game until a pretty long time into its history, until like several revisions uh, to the rules. Uh, so like just because like combat is the big focus of D&D doesn't mean you don't get good stories out of it. It's how you format that combat. Like all D and D sessions are punctuated by storytelling moments uh, mm -hmm. that lead up to fights, and and that's how wrestling works too. So in the Dungeon Dome, I know that character-driven moments are still going to be what's driving the drama and the interest uh, of this project as a storytelling thing. So I am doing my best as a game master to set up situations where characters will be able to form alliances and rivalries and I'm setting up situations that will stoke those fires, that will provide players with the opportunity to make decisions that might be bad for their character in fiction, but good for the story overall. Mm -hmm. um, like, uh, I, I think one of my favorite matches, um, and this is where I can talk a little bit about combat design, um, because uh, the way combat works in D&D, like, it is a way to explain something important is happening in a story like characters get in a fight with bandits because the those characters are so strong and their wealth and possessions are more important to them than risking their lives uh fighting these bandits so like a combat happens and it tells us something about those characters um so in the Dungeon Dome, I have tried to use the different aspects of Dungeons & Dragons both as a game and and uh, like system that is outside of combat to drive interesting competitive conflict. Um, and uh, so I, I say this a lot, um, that being a dungeon master uh, makes you a game designer. Uh, simply like setting up a combat is a, an act of game design uh, because of the stakes that you're attaching to a combat and the way you're using that pre-written system. I, I think that is enough. Uh, that work is enough to classify somebody as a game designer. Um, the, the match that I want to reference here, uh, I call the champion's dilemma. Um, and it calls for, it's a one-on-one -on -one match uh, for two characters who are not on an established team together. Um, mm -hmm. And before the match, they must each drink a potion that their partner chooses for them. And this potion can be helpful like a buff or harmful like a poison. Uh, so if both competitors survive the battle uh, that they will go into with a monster, uh, they will each receive a minor reward. However, if only one of them survives, mm. the survivor will receive a major award. And if both competitors die, they will each receive nothing. <laughs> so this this is like a prisoner's dilemma game uh, mm -hmm. that is mapped on top of this combat. Like generally speaking, it is just two character two two players, you know, entering a D&D combat against a monster that two players should reasonably be able to beat. But Character motivations offer the players this opportunity. Like, you know, as as a player, 
you were playing the game of, ooh, I could get something cool for my character if I'm the only one that survives. Uh, mm-hmm. As a character and engaging the role-playing space, you could be going, oh, man, my character hates this person. They would absolutely poison them, whether it go- would go well or poorly, um, uh, like, in-, in the combat itself. Um, so, I-, I-, I like, with the match design uh, there, what I'm trying to do is create a new unique game where people can engage their character personalities um, as part of a mechanical aspect of the fight. Awesome. Looking at what you've what you've done already and, and what you've got listed in the Kickstarter, there's there's quite a few different uh, approaches that you're taking to battles. What was what was the one that I I just saw the um. Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell, yeah. That, that yeah. will be coming up uh, next Wednesday uh, for the one-shot stream. We're yeah. doing a Hell in a Cell match, which uh, Meg referenced. And the way that one works is uh, four heroes are dropped into an arena. Mm-hmm. One of them has been infected with a demonic curse that will slowly transform them into a horrifying monster. <laughs> if the demon player, uh, the uh, the demon player will gain increasingly noticeable demonic powers as the match goes on. Um, and uh, the other players, if they manage to defeat the demon, they each get a minor reward. And if the demon manages to defeat the other players, uh, they will gain a curse that they can use at any time uh, during the Dungeon Dome, uh, only once, but like at any time, to curse another competitor. So <laughs> they could do it uh, to curse a competitor that they are fighting against. They could do it to curse a competitor uh, that they just don't like in another match. Uh, so, like, it is a werewolf-style uh, social deception game for part of the match. Uh, then it is an asymmetrical battle. Um, and then, ultimately, it becomes, like, a mechanical tool that a player can use in matches that they're not even involved in. Um, so... Yeah, I'm just trying to mess with 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 D and D and like what what we know of it and what we assume about it. Uh, yeah. it in its in its I guess like element, uh, the the combat aspect of the game. Yeah, so hopefully anyone who was concerned that it's just going to be episode after episode of straightforward D and D combat uh, is. It- has had those fears assuaged a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, I'm trying to, like, because D&D does have more to it than combat. Like, combat mm-hmm. is only a, a portion of that book. There there are so many other rules, and mm-hmm. I wanted to, like, look to them and, like, okay, how can I incorporate this into a Dungeon Dome match and make this aspect of the rules something that we're highlighting and featuring, you know? Uh how do how do I use uh, the D and D rules that they gave us in a way that maybe the designers of the game didn't really anticipate or intend? Oh, okay. So, um, actually, one of Richard's questions was, "What elements of D and D are you ditching for the sake of the medium, if any?" And now I'm wondering, uh, are are there any that aren't off the table? You know, that that are off the table, or are you looking just to see how many different uh, elements you can use effectively. Like I kind of want to explore and and see like how much I can use. There, there's nothing that I've looked at in D and D fifth edition and gone, oh, I'm not gonna do that mm-hmm. outright. 
Um, there, there might be a couple things uh, that I will discover, and like I, I think we can talk about in a second inspiration and uh, how that's yeah. changed for the Dungeon Dome. But uh, I, I think that there are things that I'm going to discover. Okay, it doesn't work this way in this form, or uh, you know what have you. But I don't think that there's anything that I've looked at in Fifth Edition and gone, Nah, this sucks, <laughs> and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to mm-hmm. fix it and make better D and D. D and D two, the sequel to D and D. Yeah, yeah. Instead, James is reading the book and going, All right, <laughs> all right. Why how not? is how is this a competition? <laughs> there, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about inspiration while we're? Yeah, because this this gets into the crowdsourcing mechanics. Like there are a lot of uh, more obvious crowdsourcing of information that I'm doing through the Kickstarter. Like people can buy to uh, like buy higher levels to be more involved in the game and the story. But uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do, because it's a streaming game, I want to take the fact that I have a large crowd of people who we can interact with, like almost in the moment. And I want to use that as one of the mechanics. So I have actually taken inspiration as the game master and I've put it completely out of my hands. Uh, I can't grant characters inspiration in the Dungeon Dome. Mm-hmm. Instead, the only people who can grant inspiration are the audience watching. Um, I, I'm still working out how I ultimately want to do this when the Dungeon Dome starts up. Mm-hmm. Uh there is what we've been doing is people uh, have been putting hashtags into the chat channel uh, <laughs> for their uh, group, their characters that they support. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you spam a hashtag and like if there are enough people like shouting a hashtag, then uh, it, th- those characters get inspiration and inspiration can be spent not only on giving advantage or disadvantage. Uh, inspiration can also be used to unlock special character moves, which are attacks that uh happen out like as free actions outside the regular initiative order uh that you know do an extra amount of damage or or provide some other special kind of combat advantage to the situation uh to mimic sort of uh special finishing moves in wrestling um (laughs) but inspiration i think like the other option that uh we're going to try out is is bits on twitch uh just today, one shot uh, in our channel has been made Twitch affiliates, which uh, unlocks a couple like neat little features uh, on Twitch. And one of them is bits where people can make small donations, donations of like a couple pennies. And okay. those pennies provide them with a virtual currency called bits. And uh, people can use bits to cheer a channel, which essentially uh, is a micro tri- uh, tip jar. They'll drop a couple pennies into our tip jar, and then it will show up on the channel that this username has donated bits. Uh, so I will be able to prompt people like, okay, guys, uh, we need to get some cheer uh, from the audience in order to uh, get uh, uh, unlock um, inspiration for for these characters and people will be able to like use the bits and it will show up very visibly on the screen when when, when bits are being engaged um and like it can be a thing that i don't even prompt uh mm-hmm. like uh you know we could have mike migdahl in, in the ring as one of the compass cats uh just do something that the stream loves and people contribute bits and all of a sudden his character will have inspiration because people donated bits um 
So like that, that is a unique aspect to streaming and a unique aspect to Twitch that I definitely want to play with uh, moving forward in the Dungeon Dome because I think that is like one of the neat mechanical strings uh, that we can pull on uh, as this sort of mass audience game that, uh, you know, you just don't have the chance to do that when you're just sitting at the table with only the other people playing. Sure. And speaking of this being, you know, it's it's a live streaming event. It's 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 unlike uh, most anything else that we you know you've you've done before. Um, Richard was asking about were there any other any unexpected challenges that you found or that you faced when you ran the first Dungeon Dome? Uh, like I've already talked about timing. Like mm-hmm. uh, mostly in one shot, I've had the luxury of having the editor's uh, scissors and being able to make things a little bit snappier and mm-hmm. you just don't have that on a stream and like a lot of the time when you're confused about a rule it's just like well i gotta make a sudden ruling right now and learn how to do it the real way later uh because we're in the middle of the game and there are people watching yeah. um and uh, like that that is just a basic challenge of play uh th- there have also been like certain mechanical things like with our setup uh trying to fix the audio delay is still an ongoing concern uh in one shot <laughs> projects uh that are streamed um and I, I think because we've only run the dungeon dome a couple times i, I think we're going to start discovering what those challenges are more and more, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, if we fund and do it. Uh, So I will say, yes, there are absolutely (laughs) challenges. And I don't even have any idea of the depth of those challenges yet. Okay, so it'll be fun to watch is is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Get out the popcorn because you're going to watch us struggling to swim and and trying to play it off like everything is fine. Nice. Um, And I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned... uh, having like rules issues come up and you know nobody wants to we we were all familiar with sitting around our games table as people rifle through books and look up rules and it's very boring um so like we don't want to watch that uh there was a lot of questions about the dungeon dome players are performers and uh some of them play games and some of them may not and the audience the audience is going to grow uh you're it's an it's a piece of entertainment and you're going to grow outside of just game focused people right what if anything are you doing for the performers for the players and for the audience to make these rules accessible and understandable there were questions about uh if if you're playing um you know private sessions with the players beforehand to kind of get them comfortable with characters and with rules um if you're putting anything out there while you play to help people follow along with character sheets or with dice rolls or with information you know Mm -hmm. is is any of that a concern uh, not much. Okay. Uh, what, what I will say about, uh, novice players who aren't deeply familiar with like the hard metagame of D and D, uh, you know, the, the people who I think are like the most power gamey mechanically focused people in this league are Patrick O'Rourke, mm-hmm. uh, who is, you know, my business partner and also uh, DMs the Dungeon Rats podcast and Aram Varshan, who uh, DMs the God's Fall podcast. Like, mm-hmm. these are two guys who love D&D, who know a ton about it, and who are taking strong advantage of those rules. 
Uh, there are plenty of people who just don't know how D&D works. Like Ali Barthwell and Liz Anderson, they've role-played before. Mm-hmm. They're extremely talented improvisers, but uh, they don't uh, do it like as a hobby. Yeah. Um, Mike Migdahl, I'd say, has like an intermediate uh, knowledge of Dungeons & Dragons. He's played before. He's played other role-playing games, um, but he's more interested in role-playing and having fun. Steven Kropa, I think, knows a little bit more about uh, the, the, about D&D than Mike, um, but he is also you know, mostly there as a performer. Um, and I'm bringing in Al- Ali Grauer and Drew Merzieski, who run our Warda stream. Uh, they are deeper gamers, and uh, the people that they've chosen as their tag team partners are also gamers. Uh, so I have a pretty wide spectrum of experience. And one of the reasons that I wanted inexperience for this is I have always found that inexperienced players have the wildest ideas Mm -hmm. um, and they don't have the restrictions of, of vast rule knowledge. So they will ask to do things that a experienced player would never think to do. Um, and I see my role as the game master uh, is to figure out how to make those moves work. Uh, like in the conclusion to the first Dungeon Dome, uh, we had Courtney Crary and Alex Manich uh, playing against Aram and Pat. Um, Aram and Pat had like strategies that they'd figure out where Aram was just going to camp and ready action to shoot people with his longbow. And Pat was going to try and draw them out. Uh, Alex went down very quickly um, because he, you know, wasn't fully engaging his rules brain. Courtney had sort of figured out ways to avoid being seen by a ROM. And she was trying to attack Pat in ways that wouldn't get her in trouble and wouldn't necessarily have been allowed during the rules. Like there, there was a moment where she was falling off a tower and she... Mm-hmm asked to make an acrobatics check so that she could fall in a way that Aram wouldn't be able to see her as she fell in the air. And I was like, that's awesome. That's so <laughs> crazy. Like we, we have to let her do that. And she also wanted to use her grappling hook while she was falling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, D and D is like, well, you can only really make one skill roll per turn, but you know, in this situation, what you're telling me is in fiction, I have a gladiator who is falling off a tower, mm-hmm. who is taking special care not to be shot by an arrow midair while falling off the tower, and she wants to make an attack against her opponent with a grappling hook so she can save her life at the same time. As a game master, like, yeah, sure, that's not in the rules, but in this case, the rules are dumb and we have to throw them away because we have to, we have to watch this play out. We have to let this happen. Um, and what she ended up doing was hooking her grappling hook around a trap lever that she had found earlier that set off a trap to attack a ROM. Uh, and stop herself from falling. So it was like a really cool move that almost completely turned the match around. Um, and it it was all because somebody who wasn't experienced playing knew what she wanted out of the fiction, and you know had the had the audacity to ask for that. And then it was up to me, Pat, and Aram, the experienced players, to figure out, okay, how does this work? 
um, how, how do we make this happen? And the thing that ended up happening was really cool. And, you know, Pat and Aram ended up winning that match anyway. They weren't really threatened in, in their dominance of the game. And we still got to experience that really cool moment. Awesome. Yeah, that was very cool. I think that's about when I tuned in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got the good stuff. Um, and and related, uh, Richard had another question about what strategies do you have in place to keep combat moving along quickly? And I'm wondering, is, is that an, you said timing was an issue, but was keeping combat moving an issue that you had? Um, uh, it is something that I'm still experimenting with. Um, like I ha I, I definitely want to do matches where players are fighting a really large number of weaker characters because I like the idea of, you know, D and D heroes cutting down multiple opponents <laughs> in, in a ring. Um, but you have to deal with the initiative problem of if you have two people versus 15 people, it is going to take forever for turns to happen with people that we care about, you know? Um, so I need to address how I'm dealing with uh, minion and mob characters in the future. And for that, I might be uh, looking to 4th edition. 4th edition um, and games like Feng Shui uh, have this rule for, for mooks and minions where, mm -hmm. you know, if you just roll to hit them, that's enough. They only had one hit point and they're done. Mm -hmm. um, that might work for the experiment that we're doing. Um, and it also might not. Like, uh, I did do, uh, to premiere, uh, the nothing that's Drew Merzieski and, and his, uh, partner Bill, uh, or his, you know, tag team partner Bill, uh, they, were fighting a skeleton match where they had to kill a certain number of skeletons before time ran out. And some rounds I did feel like, Oh my God, these skeletons are taking too long to do anything. <laughs> and other rounds I was like, Oh, thank God. These skeletons like have this sort of autonomy, uh, because we just got a really cool moment out of, out of that skeleton, like, uh, you know, acting with intention and strategy and like barely dying instead of fully dying. Yeah. Um, so like I might be making changes to the way to, to certain monsters, uh, AC, certain monsters hit points, uh, mm -hmm. to regulate stuff like that. Uh, the other thing I am going to be definitely promising to do is borrowing something from the original playtest for D and D fourth edition that didn't even make it into the final version of fourth edition mm -hmm. where a large monster uh, like a dragon or something like that could have multiple actions in an initiative order. So you were fighting one creature with one pool of hit points, but it could attack multiple times in different ways. Like maybe one round the dragon at the top of the round, the dragon can use their fire breath or cast a spell. Mm. And in the middle of the round, they can, you know, use a wing attack or something like that. And towards the end of the round, they could do something that like, uh, you know, breathe fire on the ground and create a patch of lava for people. Uh, that was a really cool mechanical thing yeah. that didn't show up in fourth edition for some reason. 
but I absolutely would love to see it in the Dungeon Dome because it makes boss fights less, okay, we surround this monster and hit it until it's dead uh, because it only attacks once and like maybe it'll attack one of us and kill one of us and... It, it just made combat too swingy. Mm-hmm. If there are multiple smaller attacks that are happening, uh, it's more fun. Uh, the combat feels more active. Yeah. And boss monsters feel like more of a credible threat. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And we got a couple questions, too, about it being, uh, you know, it, it has its roots in wrestling, partly, and that's scripted. And the Dungeon Dome, to an extent, is scripted. You've got a story. Yes. Um, I do have storylines. Um mm-hmm. Unlike wrestling, um, I will, and wrestling uses the terminology, a match can be a work, which is that is something that is planned and worked out beforehand mm-hmm. and like is more fictional than normally what you're watching during wrestling. Um, and like an example, if somebody gets hurt and there's blood, uh, that comes out, like you could go, uh, that was a work, like that's not real blood or, you know, this is like engineered in a very specific way and they, they weren't hurt that way, but they're just playing it up for drama. Mm -hmm. And then there's a shoot that is something that you just watched happen real. Like, oh man, that punch was a shoot. That guy really got hit. Um, so I have classified most of my matches uh, for for this. I have 15 core story matches that are going to happen over the course of the Dungeon Dome. Uh, and most of those are classified as shoot or work. Okay. And shoot is who it doesn't matter who wins this match so the dice and the strategy that the players employ uh is going to be the main determining factor in the match uh a work match uh isn't that the outcome is predetermined it is that the outcome has been nudged in a particular direction (laughs) okay like uh going into this match these characters are poisoned so they are at a significant disadvantage um and like you know people going well you know if it's a competition isn't it isn't it boring uh Mm -hmm. to watch uh characters be at a severe disadvantage and to that i say you know dungeon dome isn't just competition like competition is a part of it and there are absolutely going to be matches that are wits against wits people playing D D as hard as they can to try and eke out a victory against each other uh but it is also entertainment and watching your favorite character struggle against impossible odds uh to maybe not win but like save face is also going to be an intense experience for the audience so uh whether it's a shoot or whether it's a work uh isn't going to uh affect really uh how how fun it is to watch or how fun it is to play i think at least uh but yeah, I, I've got shoot and work matches. Um, and really what the season is, like I don't have like a p- planned out plot of like I need these people to win these matches. Like uh, the Compass Cats are have to be booked to win this match because they're the heroes or whatever. Uh, what I have is uh, they need to go into these matches with these stakes because the stakes are going to be the thing that determines the story. Like the big final match uh, that I'm planning 
is going to have a lot of ridiculous surprises that come up, but the outcome of that match is not predetermined at all. Like, uh, the heels could win, uh, the heroes could win, uh, and either side winning that match is going to end up being a fun story. Awesome. Oh, I'm very excited. And you answered this a little bit on Twitter, but Eric was asking about how would you apply Dungeon Dome rules towards convention and public play? And it seems like it kind of already is public play. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. But uh, you, you did start to, to answer um, him a little bit with, with what you were uh, thinking about and, and a lot of this being an experiment. Um, but do you think that this has uh, any room for convention play, like getting an audience involved? So my dream for the Dungeon Dome, Meg, is to be able to, like, finish season one and have learned a ton about, uh, like, audience gaming um, and uh, that, that sort of mass gaming and, like, how you gamify that. To be able to come away and, you know, sit down uh, probably with Cat and be like, okay, with what we've learned and with the mechanics that we've gained from this game so far, can we turn the Dungeon Dome into a specific game that like we can write down and give to people and they'll be able to play it at home on their own stream, or they'll be able to take it to conventions and, and do observed play there at at a con. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely want to be able to make this game, uh, a game that is a a game in its own right or a variant on D and D in its own right Mm -hmm. that I feel like confident in packaging and selling, but I don't know all the rules yet. (laughs) Um, So like, I absolutely want to do that. And I have like this vision of, of the lower circuits uh, for the dungeon dome. It's something that I've referenced a lot in fiction Mm -hmm. and that the dungeon dome is really just a major venue for these sort of uh, fantasy combat sports. But there are a lot of lower circuits and, and smaller towns where people sort of, watch magical competitive fighting um and i want the idea of like when you buy a copy of the dungeon dome and you have a copy of the dungeon dome game you are one of the lower circuits and that the game that we're playing uh separately like you and your league and and me and my league we're all playing in the same fictional universe together Mm, okay um so and and like that that uh has a lot of like uh organized play stuff attached to it Mm -hmm. and like i definitely don't know how to do that (laughs) uh but like it is something that i will want to investigate because i believe it lives somewhere in the soul of what we're doing in the dungeon dome um and engineer was asking if you were gonna do a feng shui 2 version of the dungeon dome and now with what you're saying about the the dungeon dome possibly being it's a game in its own right do you think that could be overlaid onto maybe not uh, any other system but you know genre i yeah i would like to have uh some system neutral rules that you could use with different role-playing games uh one of the things that uh is going to be an event that happens and i really should start talking about this more um that that happens if we manage to fund dungeon dome season one is uh god i can't remember which match i made it oh yeah uh the interdimensional championships uh and for that, I want to take characters from other one-shot projects and uh, characters maybe from other podcasts, and I'm going to make them fight in Dungeon Dome matches. 
like you know we could have trist valentine fighting uh, uh fighting somebody from god's fall and like <laughs> that will be a match um so i i and i i know that i can't do that in dungeons and dragons because like just dungeons and dragons can't do that so i might have to use something that's a little crunchy uh but is generic enough uh that that's still exciting so Maybe like Cypher or something, uh, but yeah, the interdimensional championships will have mm-hmm. characters who are not D&D born, uh, but who are still fighting and like will get the the thrilling fun of watching these weird crossover matches play out in the Dungeon Dome. That's so cool. And so we've we've made a dent, I guess, in, in the questions that came in for this one. <laughs> uh, I think we did a really good job of, of hitting most of them. Um, and, but it sounds like uh, a lot of these like logistics questions that are coming up that are really insightful that that Twitter users had, um, and and that you know that I was thinking about with with this whole project. It sounds like it just comes down to we got to do it and see, like kind of yeah. support this and just see what it turns into. And I like I wish I had a bigger guarantee like going into this that like oh yeah we're going to come away with a cool game but you know ultimately with the Kickstarter I'm like I'm not selling a cool game because I need to do the Dungeon Dome actual play event mm-hmm. in order to be able to make that game uh but what I can guarantee is that if we manage to fund the Dungeon Dome and we do it whatever you watch is going to be a wild ride yeah. and uh, you're going to enjoy it whether the game mechanics that we're trying to create work or not. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think anybody who's paying attention is going to learn something about, you know, games in of the future and into the future and how to how to do this with this new this new medium. Yeah, and it's going to be documented in so many different ways. Like, it's we're going to have the videos on demand. We're going to have the streams, and I'll be making podcast versions of Dungeon Dome episodes because yeah. a lot of people came to me and were like, I don't really like watching videos, but if I could listen to it like like your other podcasts, that would be great. So yeah. we're doing that. Do you so des- designers will have access to all of those events to use in their own designs? That's excellent. Do you think you're going to have to do anything to convert it to a podcast, or or will it probably be listenable? Um, uh, I actually haven't tried cutting up one of the other Dungeon Dome things yet. I, I don't want to touch any of that mm-hmm. until I know this is a for sure thing, oh, yeah. because I know that's going to be a lot of work. Um, but I think uh, we will have to change the way that we're playing slightly, and you will see some of those changes in the match that's coming up next Wednesday, uh, where we will be talking descriptively about things that people on stream are going to be able to see like when somebody moves you know we will have to describe the movement and where they're moving to and what might be in the environment around them so that people can create a mental picture without the aid of the stream okay that'll be interesting I have one last question from Richard that I feel is very important that we get to Um, is there anything else you wanted to add about the the mechanics of, of what's happening or the logistics of what's happening or, or anything else. Oh boy. I mean, like I could talk about this forever, oh, especially yeah. with you, Meg, because I, I love the way that you talk about uh, changing games and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I think uh, one, one of the things that I'm most compelled by uh, is the backer levels that are our box seat sponsors. Mm. Uh, that is a backer level where 
I will work with people to create a fictional persona in universe that will sponsor or or hinder uh, different characters in the Dungeon Dome. Uh, we had a lot of requests after the first Dungeon Dome event, like, man, it would be great to see like Hunger Games style like gifts oh. for characters. So the box seat sponsor, that's what they are. But it's not just a random fan sending that in. That fan is going to have a character within the universe that's like a pirate king or or a local noble or, or wealthy, powerful merchant or mafioso who is going to have some interest in the Dungeon Dome and how the events unfold. And they will be able to grant gifts like that um, but they, they'll do it as that character. Oh, I love it. And the Kickstarter is going on right now. Right, right now. Absolutely um, now. Yeah. Which, and, and you can do it until, uh, August 8th, I believe is when okay. it ends. Yeah. So this will be definitely out before then. Um, and there's lots of levels and lots of cool things to look at on the Kickstarter, um, which you've, you've talked pretty extensively about that elsewhere too. Um, <laughs> Cool. We'll, we'll have the link. You have the link. Everybody should know where to find this. Um, one last question. Richard wanted to know, a la Puppy Bowl, will there be, will there be a doggy dome? Man, <laughs> there should be a doggy dome, right? Uh, we know one doggy who could be in it. You know, uh, Pat O'Rourke is, is working on a tabletop game called Puppy Swarm. Uh, and I think uh, when he finishes that, that, that could be a good solution for doing a doggy dome. So. Nice. I I could be very into that idea. Cat saves the day again. <laughs> um, James, where can we find you on the internet? Um, if you want to find me uh, and and my work, you can head over to oneshotpodcast.com. Uh, we're also on YouTube with archived versions of the Dungeon Dome and our other uh, streamed programming. Uh, and you can find us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash oneshotrpg. If you want to talk to me, the best place is to head over to Twitter um, and hit me up. I am at OneShotRPG on Twitter, and that's all spelled out. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. This has been really fun. Meg, it's so much fun to talk to you. Yeah. I'm really excited. Uh, I hope that uh, if if Tales from Thetis gets up in time, uh, we we see some of them show up in the interdimensional championships. Oh my god, don't say that out loud. Maddie will lose her shit. <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome. Huge thanks again to James for being on the show. His links are in the show notes, including the link for the Dungeon Dome Kickstarter, which isn't funded yet. There may still be time to get that funded early, so James is forced to dye his hair for Gen Con. Please help make him a pastel space prince. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success all under the same Modifier podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neoscum, System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. One Shot is an actual play podcast where host James D'Amato leads a rotating cast of improvisers, game designers, and other notable nerds through a variety of role-playing games. Every month, One Shot plays a new game with a new cast of players. Find out more about all these shows at OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. 
join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then.